We're coming to you from America's heartland, bringing you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host here in Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, before I give you the rundown on today's lineup, well, I want to take a second here to thank a couple of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's a locally owned, full-service grocery store in the heart of Des Moines. Gateway's Cafe is open seven days a week for lunch and supper and for breakfast on the weekends. There's dine-in and takeout service available as well. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Uh, thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures great and small for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or just give uh, Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. All right, so later in the program... Uh, Charles Goldman's going to join me for a good chunk of today's show, and we're going to we're going to get his take on the U.S. Constitution and a bunch of angles, including the possibility of a constitutional convention. We're also going to be talking about the uh, various Republican proposals at the Iowa State House relevant to public education. Some of them are very similar to proposals being floated in other state legislatures around the country, and we're going to take a look at this GameStop scandal. I just put scandal in quotes. Which, uh, <laughs> which some say proves that the stock market is a joke. We'll talk about that. And then finally, later in the program, Kathy Burns is going to join us. And we're going to talk about how do you keep your chickens and other critters warm when it's 17 below zero. Anyway, we'll talk about that, this program as well. But first, you know, I received this uh, message from Nick Revslin. He's the National Guard recruiter that I interviewed last week. And here's what he wrote. He says, Ed, I have to tell you, being listened to has made a huge difference for me. I am not very concerned about climate policies, but I feel good knowing that you are watching my blind spot. I feel I can trust you to be at my six without stabbing me in the back about what I am most concerned about. And I don't want to dismiss your concerns because I know you were trying to protect me and my family and our country, our, our world. And it was just a few hours of talking. This is how our political system is supposed to work. Thank you, Nick, for that. I really appreciate that. And I hope people understand that, um, you know, Nothing, nothing bad comes from talking. And here we are today talking with Wesley Phipps. Uh, Wes and I met oh, six years ago. I knocked on his door. He actually opened it. Uh, <laughs> that was at the midpoint of my 400-mile uh, walk following the proposed, then proposed, path of the pipeline, the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, Wesley, I will never forget, um, uh, and I, I think, I, I can't remember, I, I might have read this in a couple different publications, but the pipeline company was threatened to come right through your fields. And what changed their mind and caused them to move away was uh, the quote, um, and I quote you, you can tell me if I have the right quote here, they'd have to carry me out in a pine box before I'd let any oil pipeline people on my property. Uh, that's uh, almost a word for word. <laughs> Well, uh, Wesley, you're the kind of guy that I'd like on my side in a big fight, uh, especially against but, a, a bullying corporation. <laughs> but what was more interesting was uh, their response. Uh, oh, yeah, what was that? Was, uh, they said, uh, we'll make note of that. <laughs> <laughs> they noted it. and they moved. I thought that was an interesting response. And, and what happened is they went around you. They avoided you, yes, but, they did. but then you still had to deal with them. I mean, right across the street was where they were boring under the Des Moines River, which is one of the most intense construction sites on the whole route. What was that like? Yeah, that that was not fun. That was 87 days of no sleep. Really? And, uh, and I literally mean that. Wow. It, uh, 
when you try to sleep, uh, the noise, you could not get past the noise, not even earplugs or headphones, you know. Well, they were going all night? They were, they were going all night? like that. They went all night? Uh, definitely. Actually, they drilled harder at night. Wow. Because I think my uh, thought on that was that uh, they were thinking, well, if it's nice and quiet during the day when people are out and about, uh, and I know the sheriffs came out with a uh, uh, device to measure decibels, and it passed that. But see, that was during the day. Well, at night, at about six, seven o'clock, they'd crank it up. Nice. And they'd run it loud. They'd run it hard all night. So. Uh, we've actually got tape recording of our house. You could hear everything shaking in the house. Oh, that's terrible. And that was during harvest yeah. season too, right? Yeah. So that was kind of interesting trying to get rest uh, during, you know, at night with harvesting and then going back to the field when you haven't even slept anything. <laughs> yeah, that's so wrong. So. Well, and you and I have been been strong, uh, strongly on the same side of the uh, fight against the uh, pipeline. I know we disagree on a few things, and one of them is uh, – is, is President, uh, for ex-President um, Donald Trump. You supported him in 2016. What were your reasons for backing him back in 2016? Well, he had the rhetoric that seemed to uh, speak to people that was concerned about uh, trying to do what was right and rather than what uh, the political process machine was doing. So and he, he knew what he was doing, talking that way. He was building a, a very uh, wide base from the silent majority, I believe. And you supported and, him? Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and I supported him then. Um, in 2020, I was a little concerned because you'd hear the same rhetoric from him um, in his speeches, and he started sounding more like a politician, and that that was kind of a real disappointment, but... Uh, anyway, I still voted for him because uh, I didn't vote for him. I guess I'll correct that. I voted against uh, Joe Biden. So. <laughs> so what? What were the uh, what were the um, what were the issues that you felt he you know didn't deliver on or could have done better on? Uh, how about starting with following uh, the oath of office and the Constitution? Okay. Uh, a lot of the shutdown of uh, this COVID nineteen situation. I didn't agree with. I think it was over-exaggerated for financial reasons for Big Pharma and all the vaccine companies. But wasn't it the governors that were making the decisions on how COVID was to be managed at the state level? Well, is that what they were doing? Were they really making the decisions or were they uh, cowing the pressure? We don't know that. Probably a combination depending on the state. Yes. So I would, uh, I would think it was some type of pressure applied. That's usually how it, how it shakes out. But um, Were there other areas of disappointment in the Trump administration? Well, of course there was. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, most people I talk to, most Trump supporters I talk to tell me, I wasn't that excited about him in 2016, but I like what he did, so I was more excited about voting for him in 2020. And... What fascinates me about your situation is it was the opposite. You were disappointed in what you saw during that four years. Uh, yeah, as a whole, I was. I mean, um, you know, I think our uh, elected officials, uh, I think we can about all call them politicians by now. 
<laughs> but I think they've really done it, done us an injustice. They're not, from what I can see through what's being exposed to the people, I cannot see signs of proof that they're following their oath of office. Um, How do you mean? They've, well, they've all sworn to uphold and defend the Constitution. Have they done that? No. You can almost count it every day where they have not done that. So, uh, you know, like the old saying, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. Well, we're right there. We're, we're at absolute corruption. And, and I think that's why we're drifting farther and farther away from the Constitution, because there's no uh, checks in place to uh, hold these people responsible for when they violate the Constitution. So what are a couple examples of uh, politicians violating the Constitution? Uh, even talking about uh, gun bans. Okay. I mean, what part of shall not be infringed do they not understand? I, I know that's just common rhetoric I just spewed out there. Right. But... It is true that they are constantly attacking that issue, and that right is protected. And do you see to the, the people? Do you see the First Amendment under attack as well? The uh, right to uh, freedom of speech. Well, of course it is. Look what's and that now. There's another area I was disappointed in uh, President Trump uh, as far as not putting a stop. Uh, like old Barney Fife says, nip it in the bud. <laughs> well, Trump failed to nip it in the bud when uh, people were starting to get censored off the Internet. Now, the Internet is similar to, you know, you can kind of look at it as a, a media source, a, a, a newspaper, if you will. And if you're censored off of that or words controlled that are spoken on that, that's censorship. Right. So we're, and we're, that's against the First Amendment, and that's a violation of the First Amendment, and Trump should have nipped that in the bud, but guess what? Later on, they censored him. So, so we're, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. So where, where do you draw <laughs> the line? Got hit, they came and got him, finally. <laughs> so where do you draw the line <laughs> between uh, freedom of speech and uh, um, lies or misinformation or even stuff that might be threatening uh, to a particular person or a particular demographic? Well, that's what the judicial judicial system is for. If there's, uh, you know, when you openly use your right to speak out, you are also openly responsible for your actions and what you've said. So people need to be careful of what they say, but they should have the freedom to say what they want. And if there's if there's repercussions to that, then they should be held responsible for that, and that can be through the, through the judicial system. I mean, we can't uh, put somebody in place responsible for being uh, the gatekeeper of truth and fiction, lies, right. whatever. Yeah, who would that be? <laughs> and who would that be? Yeah, yeah. Um, Elections. Right? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully someday we'll do away with uh, Dominion. 
and go back to a straight ballot system of voting to be to be sure that oh it's you mean a, you mean you mean good and fair honest way i mean there's well, I, I, agree with you. I agree with you there, too. There's yeah. a lot of people. We've got a lot of people in this world, don't we? Uh, yeah. You don't think <laughs> uh, most of them know how to count, don't they? Hopefully. So why do we need a computer counting system? I totally agree I with you. Yeah, we- a paper ballot makes so much more sense. And it's questionable as to why we've moved into a system of electronic management. We saw how well electronic uh, uh, system of uh, vote counting worked for the Iowa caucuses last year. Uh, <laughs> 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 Well, they're 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 more easily uh, uh, corrected in a certain direction if, if if somebody wants them to be. You mean manipulated, falsified? Manipulated, yeah. correct? Yeah. Can, can I ask you a couple other questions relevant to the First Amendment? Um, well, just generally speaking, uh, I mean, I, I I'm a big fan of the ACLU and. Uh, and, you know, they, a lot of the causes the ACLU defends relevant to freedom of speech tend to be liberal. But, you know, they've also defended the First Amendment rights of the Ku Klux Klan, um, the Tea Party, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church. I, I, I don't know how, I, I don't know what groups you look to for, you know, support in terms of defending the freedom, right, right of uh, freedom of speech. But is, is the ACLU one of them? What do we need anything other than the Constitution? Well, just in terms of that? just in terms of having citizens out there through an organization that are being watchdogs, saying, "Hey, the Constitution is not being represented here because this group is not being allowed to express its opinion, even though their opinion is really unpopular." <laughs> like with Westboro Baptist Church, they they send people to protest with horrible signs uh, at the funerals of military veterans because they are opposed to the military's acceptance of, uh, of gay people within the ranks. I mean, I, you know, I personally can't stand the Westboro Baptist Church, but I respected the ACL, ACLU's intent saying, hey, they may be wrong, but they've got a right to say it. That's true. I would agree with that. Yeah. So there's I'm, a lot of, there's a lot of wrong going on in this world, <laughs> but they've got the right to say it. <laughs> That's a good quote. Now, I like when, that. Now, when they when they uh, damage somebody or harm somebody, then again, there's the judicial system that should be there in place, right? Uh, for people to go after them and, and if they feel damaged or harmed. Let me uh, let me ask you this, Wesley. Um, the uh, how do you feel about amending the Constitution? Before we even open up, let's look at, okay, who wants to change what and what's the proposed change? Right. Review that. If it's unconstitutional, if it goes against the original Constitution, then I would say no. Okay. Right now, before the Iowa legislature, there are proposals to amend the state Constitution regarding uh, guns. Uh, that that language reads, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, and any and all restrictions of this right shall be subject to strict scrutiny. There's also a proposed constitutional amendment on abortion, and there's also one on political ideology. I mean, that's a lot of changes for one session of the Iowa legislature, and of course, the uh, each of those proposals would have to be voted on by the by by the population at large. And in the case of the gun uh, amendment, it would be in the 2022 election. How do you feel about that level of involvement in amending the state constitution? 
I think the gun rights uh, addition is long overdue. I do have one more question for you relevant to the election. Was there any uh, Democrat running in 2020 you could have supported? <laughs> well, Tulsi. Tulsi Gabbard. Why is yeah. that? Why is that? You know what happened to her? <laughs> well, she got on the wrong side of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the things. She got on the wrong side of a lot of people. Hmm. Well, yeah. Hey, I um, I did forget there was one thing I wanted to ask you really briefly relevant to the the Dakota Access Pipeline. How do you? I, I, one yeah. of my one of my concerns about the pipeline is the impact on climate change. And where where do you stand on climate change? My opinion is. Keep the horse just going down the middle of the road until you see something uh, standing right there where you can see it, touch it. Well, then that's when you turn the horse off to the left or right. I'd say that horse is ready to turn. Uh, <laughs> if you, I mean, look at the, all, the, the, the warm years we're having that are all record warm. The the uh, record melting you, you in the Arctic. You say that on a night of below zero. Weather. Yes, because yeah, yeah, I do actually because what's happening in the Arctic right now is nice and toasty. Um, I mean, uh, incredibly yeah. warm, and it's pushing all that cold air right down to the heartland. I rest on God, and I think we all need to quit worrying so much about things we can't control. Well, Wesley, I've got to run to a break. When we come back, folks, Dr. Charles Goldman is going to join us. We're going to also be talking about the U.S. Constitution. We're going to be talking about... Uh, education legislation happening at the state houses and also taking a look at this GameStop scandal, which is just blows my mind. Anyway, we'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine-in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry-out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-table.com. Heartland, bringing you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Hey, thanks to Bold Iowa, founded in 2015 to build rural and urban coalitions to address climate change, also to prevent the abuse of eminent domain and protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. Bold Iowa is committed to using peaceful, nonviolent means to push for change. You can learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Local food security is becoming more and more important to both urban and rural residents. You can get information 
at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, welcome back to the program. With us for the next three segments, if we can tolerate him, is Dr. Charles Goldman. Hello, Charles. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going, Ed? It's going all right. So uh, we're going to talk later about education at the uh, State House. We're going to talk about uh, GameStop. But first, the Constitution. I know you've got strong opinions about this. That has been a focus of this program, uh, the first part of this program. I think we might have some disagreements about certain aspects of it. But um, it's a good topic because right now there are three proposed changes to the Iowa Constitution that are floating at the uh, State House. Well, one of them is passed mm-hmm. for sure. One of them is going to be voted on in 2022. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, the constitutional amendment on guns. And um, we've also got, of course, the constitutional amendment on abortion and on political ideology. So I want to talk about that and also get your take on the proposed, well, we, we, we missed it. In nine years, there will be another proposal for a constitutional convention to convene. So, Charles, I wanted to get your take on all of that. I think probably we could start with the uh, the most important, of course, which is the Second Amendment, um, and the uh, desire to make sure that Iowa uh, has a, a you know a liberal gun regimen that exceeds the protections that are in the federal interpretation of the Second Amendment. And um, and some would say that any restrictions on on firearms is a re, is an infringement on the Second Amendment. Uh, yes, which of course is is absolutely not a true interpretation of of the Second Amendment. Not even in the minds of, you know, the most conservative of the uh, of the Supreme Court justices, because we even Scalia, you know, said that uh, reasonable restrictions are not unconstitutional. Um, and, you know, that was in the case involving the D.C. law, which is uh, highly restrictive. Um, and that's all that case was commenting on. They were not saying that any restriction was unconstitutional. They were simply saying that, that the D.C. one was just in excess of what the Constitution would allow. So the debate is so, over the definition of restrictive, of, uh, of, of reasonable. Right. And, um, you know, <laughs> is there a problem here in, in Iowa that— Gun owners are being limited in any way. I mean, I'm 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 at a loss for that. I think some of the concern is that uh, our rights will be limited if we don't um, if we don't make it clear in the Constitution. Uh, and here's the language that's proposed: "Quote the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Any and all restrictions, any and all restrictions of this right shall be subject to strict scrutiny." I don't quite, right. Yeah, I don't quite know what the strict scrutiny means. Well, it's it's really intriguing, which is you know the, these these amendments are all directed against the activism of the courts, even when the courts are, are are you know populated by what might be considered conservative justices. Um, so yes, exactly. What does that mean? Uh, it's been interpreted by some, from what I understand, to mean that the standard to allow restrictions has to be higher than that which has been enumerated in Supreme Court, in federal, you know, courts. Um, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm just unclear. What is it? This, this seems a, a political, cultural kind of activity because it, it, is, it is being put forward by people who gain something by claiming that the Democrats are coming for your guns, the government's coming for your guns. I mean, has there ever been any program in which the government came for your guns in the United States? 
Not, not, not yet would be their response. Uh, and yes. Concerned that that would happen. Let me ask you this. Uh, well, what is what is the legal basis for the unrestricted right for firearms in this country? If it's the Second Amendment, it shows a complete and total disregard for the history of the Second Amendment. So if these if these Iowa legislators are are the originalists, they need to read the history of the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment was a compromise to allow the create or the continued use of slave militias to hunt down runaway slaves and also to protect the uh, white slave masters from being killed by their slaves because they were in total fear of what had happened after Haiti had gotten rid of slavery 60 years previous to that, or not 60 years, I'm sorry, uh, about 10, uh, 15 years previous to that time. Interesting. Um, okay. It, it was not, it, the militias they're talking about are not militias that are National Guard. They were talking about slave militias okay. in the South. You'll have That's to... the history of gun ownership in the United States. <laughs> okay. So do you think, let me ask you this, the political question, uh, this was... It's a, it's a sop. It's a sop to their usual cultural issues, because what's the next thing they, that they they come up with? Well, we need an abortion amendment. Okay, well, let, let me... Yeah, that, that's going to be... That's going to need a whole other legislative uh, assembly to pass. But the, uh, the, right. gun, the gun one will be on the ballot in 2022. It was, um, right. it was passed at the state. I was pretty much on party lines. Uh, right. So what do you what do you think its fate's going to be? And again, we'll have in twenty twenty two we'll have uh, a governor's race, we'll have a U.S. Senate race. It'll be a pretty busy ballot in Iowa, as it will be in many states. What do you think the fate of that um, proposed constitutional amendment will be in Iowa? It'll lose. All right, you heard it here first, folks. Charles Goldman predicting a loss to that amendment. We'll, well see. Well, it'll, it'll, it's pretty, I would say it's predictable because the majority of Americans believe that there should be some restrictions on gun ownership. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Um, I don't have quite the same uh, level of confidence in how that, that, how that vote's going to turn out. Let me ask you about this one. Uh, again, this is just being floated. It may never go anywhere beyond just the committee assignment, but it would add to the, add to the Iowa Constitution as a protected class political ideology. So again, along with age, race, color, creed, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, religion, national origin, disability, and marital status, we will add uh, protect. We will add political ideology as a protected class. Uh, I, I'm sure that this was one that was written by Alec, and probably um, <laughs> that's the American Legislative Exchange Council, right? And it, it's, a, it's a redundancy. Your political ideology is already protected. You have a right of free speech. Um, so, it, it, again, I, I think this is just a, a, cultural, a culture war sop. And um, this is what the Republicans believe that they've been elected to do. I mean, and, and this, is, this is their entire platform. The platform doesn't consist really of anything policy-wise, it's all about the hot-button issues that they think, you know, uh, warm up the crowd. And before we talk and, about another one of those, uh, those, uh, those hot-button issues, education and school choice, I want to ask you one more thing relevant to the Constitution. The um, proposed uh, convening of a constitutional convention. Every 10 years on the ballot, voters are asked, shall a constitutional convention be convened? And every 10 years, everybody, the majority, the vast majority, shoot it down. 
But um, maybe there's a growing sense that the Constitution does need a really strong look and that there are perhaps significant components that might need to be updated to be in sync with the needs of the 21st century. What do you think? Uh, I, again, I think it's a, it's a terrible idea because the rules, of, the rules of the Constitutional Convention as to how our delegates going to be chosen, how, you know, remember the last Constitutional Convention was the first Constitutional Convention in the federal system, and they basically did everything opposite to what they were mandated to do. And the, uh, the lack of rules in terms of influence peddling and all the other things that can go on in the Constitutional Convention, it, you just gonna, I mean, it'll, it'll just be some of these culture issues on steroids. And, but, it could, um, but it could also. I think it's a horrible idea. But it could also take a crack at the problem of money in politics. It could also take a crack at the neglect of the environment. There are some good things it could do that I think a lot of um, people of the more progressive political persuasion would be supportive of. Well, but you would need you would need a situation where the the, the progressives would have enough power to be able to do that. And I think the way it would run would favor the more conservative aspects of the. Iowa policy, and we'd end up with a a document which would be, especially given the history of the Iowa Constitution and, and well, the I fact mean, that it was it was ahead of things. Well, I'm, I'm talking about I'm, I'm talking about a national convention. Oh, a national convention! Oh, forget it. I mean, that'd be even worse. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. And even even someone on uh, as conservative as Scalia said and Warren Burger stated, "Do not do this. <laughs> there are no rules." You will not be able to control it. The See, courts probably I, I'm will not have sure. no, uh, uh, no effect. It wasn't because they were fearful of, of, the, of the left. Isn't that there just plenty, isn't, Lawrence wait. Tribe also says, don't do it. Okay, isn't this just a status quo? With the, 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 the corporate interest controlling our politicians who are saying, hey, don't do this. We don't want you to go there because we're afraid it'll take away our power. That's my, that's my take on it is you have a chance here for people actually to begin to, to uh, craft language that's going to put some restrictions on money and politics, on corporate power, on antitrust laws, on protecting our environment. Yeah, that's only if the Constitutional Convention includes 10 states. Um, because remember, you know, there's 28 states already that are looking to uh, pass resolutions to convene a Constitutional Convention at the federal level, and not one of them is a, a blue state. So all they would need at a Constitutional Convention is 34 states, and they would override any of those things that, that you would want to have happen. Okay. Um, and the fact that there's really no rules is, is the, the Constitution sets almost no rules about how to run another constitutional convention. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. And the courts would not. It's not clear the courts would have any ability to change things. We don't know how. Again, how would you select your delegates? How would would each delegate cast a vote, or would each state cast a vote? We don't even know. You know what it would look like. And in this present environment, it'd be even worse to convene it. And right. the people who want to do it the most. You know who writes briefs in, in favor of this? Guess who? Alec. Okay, not surprised. That, yeah, that tells you who really wants the Constitutional <laughs> okay. Convention. All right, well, hey, we've got to run to a short break. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about the, re the Republican efforts of the State House relevant to public education. Charles Goldman sticking with us back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. 
Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Findlay. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Dr. Charles Goldman, our guest here this afternoon. Uh, thanks to uh, Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located in downtown Des Moines, Noche is one of our sponsors. Uh, they feature national acts and also local performers, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Finley. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret in downtown Des Moines. All right, welcome back to the program. Uh, with us again, Dr. Charles Goldman. Um, Charles, it's been interesting to watch what's happening at the State House relevant to education. I want to talk about the uh, what I see as a very biased um, effort to suppress a more balanced uh, presentation of uh, of history in the classroom. But also, we've got the um, got the attempt to uh, kind of spread the money around a bit, give it more to charter schools, to um, private schools. This is a perennial conflict at the state house, and it's receiving some renewed effort this year. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I think the Republican, the Iowa Republicans, are encouraged by a recent decision that occurred up in Montana, which um, the Supreme Court upheld that there was uh, no violation of separation of church and state for um, a program that was intended clearly. Um, to uh, subsidize uh, students in public schools, that it also had to be used in uh, non-public schools up there. Okay, and um, what exactly? And the, did, the, I'm sorry. What exactly did they want to do with the Iowa State House? Well, a, a number of things, um, but basically, uh, they want to uh, essentially put in place what looks kind of like a school voucher program, where um, they will be giving scholarships to uh, students, and uh, that money can be used to pay tuition at uh, private schools. Now, let's, let's be clear when you're talking about private schools in Iowa. You're talking about religious schools. Um, eight, like 85% of uh, the, the K-12 through uh, private schools in Iowa are religiously affiliated. So um, this is this, among other ideas, you know, um, they're going to uh, remove some limits that uh, on open enrollment um, to allow uh, higher income kids to potentially move out of their how school is, districts, the other school districts. Yeah. How is this relevant? And, how, how is it relevant to the whole COVID nineteen situation? <laughs> it, well, it, it, again, it doesn't exist uh, according to the Republicans. Um, and that the uh, non-public schools would not have to uh, 
take kids, for instance, who have disabilities. Well, we already, we already know that's the case. Or special needs. They don't have to accept kids with 504 plans. Uh, it, it's just a, a panoply of ideas that basically will allow um, people who want to leave the public schools to have the state and our taxpayer money subsidize their exit to those schools, even though there's multiple things that Iowa taxpayers are already doing for private schools and homeschooling. Yeah. Uh, for instance, you know, there's uh, the the public schools actually um, the homeschoolers buy their books through the public schools, and the public schools have to reimburse the homeschoolers for the textbooks. So that that costs um, the Iowa taxpayer about six hundred thousand dollars a year, for instance. Um, they pay for private school transportation support. The state does. Um, and I, 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 I personally don't mind some support for homeschooling. I think homeschooling is a great option for people who are able to manage it. Yeah, except for the fact that it, you know you have a setup here called independent private instruction in which there's basically no standards at all as to to see whether the and no testing to see whether uh, you know the children are getting an education. But that already exists. See, I mean, they're, they're painting this as a problem, and you know, Iowa has really, you know, contributed quite a bit toward options to public schools. And, but now, you know, what this is, this is the, this is the answer to everything. What is, what does this sound like? Privatization. It, privatization. Everything, yeah. everything in the Republic, it, it, everything's always better if you privatize it. Right. Yeah. And then it worked and, really but, well with Medicaid, didn't it? See, this is the point. Privatization in the United States means that the private companies get to skim off the favorable payers, or the people who require the least resources, which is exactly you're right. How health insurance works, or even how the post office works. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, UPS and FedEx skim off the favorable urban and suburban routes, and then it's up to the post office to you know deal with the rural routes, which are clearly not you know commercially viable. Interesting. Yeah, I had not of that. And, and this is the same thing. And don't forget that when you send your child to a private school, now because of the wisdom of the, you know, the uh, nine elders in Washington, um, the private school can discriminate against your student and discriminate against its own teachers if they do not adhere to things that uh, are in the belief system of that religious school. Let me switch gears for a second here, Charles. Uh, the, the other education proposal at the State House is relevant to what's called the 1619 Project. Uh, this was a curriculum developed um, uh, based on uh, a, a, um, a project by a reporter from Waterloo, Iowa. And there le there's legislation now in three states, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Iowa, to basically penalize schools for using this curriculum um, it's an initiative that uh, that tries to reframe U.S. history by putting the um, the uh, legacy of slavery in uh, in context and, and and the contributions made by by Black Americans uh, and it's um it's been it's targeted it's being re it's being regarded as an attempt to uh, de deny or confuse people about the fundamental principles that the U.S. was founded on uh, and basically if a school teaches this curriculum, they would be financially penalized. Well, yeah, and, and, and what's really interesting, well, first of all, it, it, it's used as a resource. It, in other words, it's not 
so much a curriculum where a social studies teacher in high school is going to go verbatim through everything that's in the 1619 project. And there were some criticisms by, by historians with no you know, political uh, leaning saying that it's a little bit too mechanistic in terms of you – know, they made the claim that the early reason for the colonialists coming to the shores of, of the North America was to perpetuate slavery here. Um, that's, that is you know, historically a little bit questionable, but nevertheless – it does. It, it calls to task this country for, you know, maintaining slavery as an institution well beyond when other similar countries had already, uh, you know, made it illegal and reno- and re- you know, re- renounced it. Well, it seems what it's really about is to try to establish a more uh, honest explanation for the historical development of, of the U.S. Uh, well, Not, no, that's fine. That, no, I'm in. I'm in total agreement with that. And and what you should what you should also understand is remember. That in in response to that proliferation of that curriculum, uh, Trump put together his 1776 panel. Right, right. And that's a pretty interesting curriculum. This is what I would want my child to be taught. You know um, that it, it, that that report called slavery a challenge in American history. <laughs> oh gosh. And that we, you know, those who fault Jefferson for having 600 slaves. Yes, he said some nice and flowery things, but he did have 600 slaves. Um, and they felt that, that you know, calling Jefferson to task for that has a devastating effect on our civic unity, right? Um, not the legacy of slavery, but the critics yeah. of those who, you know, were ultimately became the abolitionists later on. Um, the three-fifths compromise was practical politics. It was good because it kept the United that States was the together. That was the compromise that determined that African Americans were, were three-fifths human. That's correct. Well, incredible. because incredible, be, because it allowed the southern states to uh, keep their influence over, over the northern states that were more heavily populated. Right. And yeah. so, um, yes. And then <laughs> this this 1776 commission also said that the premature abolition of slavery. Remember, the, the theory of the 1776 commission was that slavery would have disappeared of its own accord because it would have become economically unfeasible, unfeasible you know, non-feasible, um, was actually a um, interference in the pursuit of the happiness of the white man because it made them give up their property before they were ready to do it. <laughs> this is literally... So I mean, this, sad this, for you. <laughs> Gosh. Right, yeah, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is what is being arrayed against the 1619 Project and it is a disgrace. Well, we'll see it if is. we'll see if it passes. I mean, it's anything can pass in the current legislative environment, not just in Iowa, but in other states. So, we'll see. Um, Charles, I got to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, um, let's dig into uh, let's dig into the uh, the third issue on our agenda, and that is the GameStop scandal. Uh, back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. 
Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. Celebrating our delight that Tom Brady has won a seventh Super Bowl. Other people aren't so happy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> here we are broadcasting from the heartland where we try to bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political and, uh, and um, sports divide. Anyway, this is Ed Fallon, your host, and joining me is Dr. Charles Goldman. A quick shout out to our business uh, sponsors, including Architecture by Synthesis offering planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, welcome back to the program again. Charles Goldman with us here. So, um, game... You know, Ed, before we start, you know where they're celebrating big time? The where? Belichick household. The Belichick household? <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? Well... Well, you know, everybody, you know, Belichick always, you know, kind of surreptitiously claimed it was him. Well, turns out Tom Brady can win without him. In fact, with the coach, he's nowhere near as good as Belichick. So, <laughs> so I doubt it's a celebration in that case. No, the, I, know, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, GameStop. Uh, you know, I the stock market is like a foreign world to me. It's like a, a different planet. And it just seems like so much mythology I've never thought it was a serious measurement of economic well-being. It doesn't have any impact on my life that I can tell. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just, I've always thought it was a game that some, some people with a bunch of money and maybe some time were able to play. And now we have this very fascinating development where a group of average Joes and Jills got together on social media and... And sent it crazy. They, they sent it going haywire. That's my take on what happened with GameStop. And I don't, you know, I, anyway, Charles, what's, uh, is that consistent with your analysis? Well, I, I think it was pretty fascinating. Cause I, I agree absolutely with you that the use of the stock market as any measure of economic activity is ludicrous. And that that was the best thing that happened out of this. Um, you know, the, the, this had all the elements of what's wrong with the stock market. So, number one, it's kind of a classic pump and dump. There were people on Reddit, you know, on this subreddit, that were, you know, owned GameStop stock. And GameStop has an absolutely anachronistic, you know, business of selling video games on, like, discs to put on your computer from stores in malls. So they're kind of in the same classification of successful business as they're say, like the blockbuster pay, or of payphone. video games. Yeah, well, or the blockbuster <laughs> of video games. Okay. Basically. Okay. So, so you know, there's there was a bunch of these like mostly retail investors, although a couple of you know traders were involved with this who probably will get visits from the SEC, and you know they owned the stock and they wanted to make money on the stock, and so they're pumping this stock up. And then what happens is that a couple of the more technically savvy begin to see that the hedge funds 
are so short. In other words, it, when you short a stock on uh, Wall Street, you're betting that it's going to go down because you're borrowing it to buy it back at a lower price. If it goes to the moon, you can lose basically infinity. Right. Because which, there's no end because you've got to buy it back. You've got to cover your margin at some point. You can't just continue to hold which, it. Which happened to some people. Well, that, that's, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened yeah. to, to a couple of hedge funds. So the point was. And we, and we, that, cry, we cry a river for them, right? Right. GameStop, GameStop had 120% short interest. In other words, there were 20% of the shares that didn't exist were being naked shorted. There was no – 20% of the short interest was in nothing. Hmm. They didn't even own the shares, which is completely illegal, by the way. Right. But the, hedge, the, the big, the big you know, trading firms get to do it all the time. And so when, there was a, when the stock starts going up like 1,500% in a day, they're getting called. And the, the scam part of this too was that Robinhood, which you know, was supposed to be like you know, the stockbroker for the masses because they don't charge any commissions. <laughs> right. Well, it turns out the commission that, that Robinhood charges is that they don't actually look for the best price execution for their traders. They actually go through basically one or two you know, companies, which then front-run their own orders. In other words, they go buy the order at a lower bid so they can drive the ask up, and that's the way Robinhood makes money. It's kind of the opposite of Robinhood that, the, that we, yeah, that we, that we exactly. know. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, all of this just shows you that the whole the, – these are just financial machinations. This is just moving money from one side of a computer screen to another. It has nothing – this is not – this is not helpful economic activity. This is not – you know, helping the common person. And yeah, of course, everyone looks and says, you know, they show their stock statement and, and that day that suddenly their account's worth like $5 million. Okay, okay, so, so, so wait, it's, $15 it's, the day before. So it's not helpful, but is it still needed? No, because, and, and the irony of hedge funds is that hedge funds charge fees up to 20% of, of performance and actually underperform just owning passive index funds. On the market, and on top of that, the hedge fund owners get favorable tax treatment, and also own reinsurers offshore where they stick their money. So, you know, they they, they they'll tell you how hedge funds are necessary for the you know the uh, you know uh, market being rational and everything, but it, it it's an underperforming scam of its own. And and of course, who's on the other side of the trade where this other hedge, you know, hedge fund lost three billion dollars? It's just another hedge fund or another big trader. So the people <laughs> who ended up making a ton of money are, for the most part, large institutional traders who were on the long side of the trade. And, and as soon as they got so so the the argument though is that that you that you that for this company to be viable, you have to um, allow people to invest in it so it has the capital to do what it needs to do. And, and and that's that's and that's that's the foundation. That's, but of that's the, not it does it, it only when they first sell stock or float other offerings do they actually get money. Most of what's going on the rest of the time is just people who are gambling on a stock and gambling on the general movement of the, of the stock market. And, so you know. So is the, is the stock market essential for the survival and propagation of capitalism? Well, as it's currently structured in the United States, yes. Because so there's so few investments that yield anything that you know pension funds and other and other things that we are reliant on, you know do do need some system. 
So what's the op- what's the, if if you uh, if you believe in capitalism, and I'm not, I'm not going to assume you do, but uh, what what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is is that the stock market needs to be reflective of the value of companies based on assets or sales. It can't just be, you know, a bunch of people saying, you know, that technology stocks are worth 500 times their, you know, yearly sales. That's just ludicrous. And that's the myth that the that the uh, Reddit uh, uh, buyers. Well, that's part of it. It's part of it. But there's all these there's all these derivatives that that you know this is what happened to us in 2008. There's all these bets on which way is a stock going. It's not just the stocks themselves. It's it's all the derivative markets that have come up around it that are the real danger because they're relatively uncontrolled. Hmm. You know, and and no one knows who's holding what. And they're, they're just they're just entries on a computer screen. You know, and that's the real danger is that the value of derivatives probably exceeds the entire GDP output of the entire world. <laughs> you know, and and you can see how quickly you can see how quickly you can lose money when there's no real assets. Yeah. Because stocks are a paper asset. They don't exist. I mean, they're just pieces of paper. You know, it kind of points to the, the fact that we need a way of measuring economic vitality that isn't based on GNP, uh, GDP, uh, isn't, um, isn't uh, you know, that the, the lifeblood of that uh, system isn't the ups and downs of the stock market. Now, when do we start measuring um, personal well-being, uh, health, uh, environmental, uh, you know, st- stability. When do these things start becoming part of the uh, part of the measurement of our of our, of our economic uh, vitality? No, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, and and the thing is, is that the stock market has simply become a sort of internal self perpetuating system. You know, which again, it, it just keeps spinning irrelevant to what's going on outside of it. And yeah. and for instance, why did it, why did it go up during the COVID pandemic? Right, yeah. it craters at the first you know, lockdowns, but then now it's back up at record highs, and people have made a lot of money. Okay, and answer that question: Why did it go up? Because the Federal Reserve bought about one and a half trillion dollars worth of securities to keep mm. it up. Yeah. See, that's the thing. It's it's debt. become it, debt, debt so intrinsic what? to the system's right. financial integrity yeah. that it. How are you going to unwind it at this point? Kind, I don't know. Kind of like a cocaine addict. Yeah, no, but that's it's absolutely true. I mean, it, it, it that's where the money went. And what did companies do? What do companies do with their profits these days? They don't, you know, necessarily go out and expand their infrastructure or, you know, make new products, innovate. I mean, some of them do. A lot of them take a lot of money and simply buy back their, their shares. Yeah. yeah. So that their executives get paid more money. Well, anyway. Not the workers. I, um, you know, the workers don't ever get get anything out of that. I'm pretty sure that, like me, Charles, you did not get involved with the uh, stock uh, stock fetish around GameStop. But anyway, no. uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> no. I, I've enjoyed the analysis and appreciate the uh, broader conversation about uh, what we're doing to um, <laughs> to um, kind of insulate the, uh, the 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 status quo from what's really happening in most people's lives these days. Hey, uh, I gotta I gotta run to a break here, Charles. Um, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Next year in Tampa Bay. <laughs> okay, right, right. <laughs> Folks, uh, Charles Goldman, our guest here, will be back in a minute. Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about how to keep your critters, and we're not talking about dogs and cats, how to keep your chicken critters, maybe your bee critters, how to keep them warm in this sub-zero weather we're experiencing in the upper Midwest. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. 
Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Thanks to the local businesses that help make this program possible, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's a locally owned grocery store in the heart of Des Moines, and also a cafe open seven days a week for lunch and supper. Breakfast also available on the weekends. They've got dining service and also takeout available. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. All right, I'd like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program. Kathy's with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And we're going to talk about keeping critters warm in the polar vortex. And we're not talking about your dog and your cat. We're talking about creatures that you might have on your farm or garden or in your backyard. Chickens, bees. Unlike people who knit little sweaters for their dogs and cats. <laughs> we know such people. And some who do for their chickens. Right. We rely on some other measures to keep chickens and bees safe. Yeah, we have uh, more. If we can keep them warm. We have more safe. experience with uh, with chickens, but bees. Um, mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we've been able to keep them alive most of them in the <laughs> winter time, which is good. We have a good average. Yeah. What do you do for bees? Well, we have, uh, first of all, in the fall uh, is when, the late fall is when you start to prepare for winter. Because once the really cold winter hits, in other words, for bees, 50 degrees and below, you don't want to open that hive and do anything that's going to disturb them. So before that temperature comes along, you want to, you want to be ready. Um, we made sure that we reduced to, to two boxes so they have less space to occupy and uh, less space to heat. And also we put on the mouse guards because the bees keep their boxes warm. Guess what wants to get in there in the winter? Mice. Yeah, among and, other things, yeah. And in the bottom opening, there, if a mouse can get in, the bees will kill it, and then it will rot and um, respire and yeah. then kind of yeah. kill the bees. It, it's really not cold. It's not the bee's biggest enemy. It's, it's moisture. It is. And that's why you want to keep a dead mouse out of there. <laughs> <laughs> among other things, yeah. uh, any moisture. The first year that we kept bees, two, three winters ago, um, we... We didn't have our bees survive through the winter, and we that lost, was sad. lost both times. We yeah. did. And there was a period of mourning, and then we recovered and <laughs> moved on. Then we learned from some of our beekeeper friends, Abigail and Bethany Kelly, about what they call quilt boxes or winter boxes that help absorb moisture out of the top of the beehive 
and make sure that that moisture doesn't condense and drip back down onto the bees, and that's what will kill them. So they provided some instructions to build, and we did build one. It can cost anywhere from 20 to $75, depending. I saw one on Amazon for 75 which yeah. is outrageous. And what, well, how much did you pay for materials to build one yourself? I used some used stuff and some um, thrift stuff, so maybe... A buck? Five, <laughs> a maybe, couple bucks? Maybe one to five bucks a wow, piece. Wow, that's great, yeah. And they work really well. It's just uh, you put sawdust in them, or, or wood shavings, wood I shavings. guess, right? Yep. And that absorbs the moisture. And again, the bees, they want to remain at, what, about 92 degrees? Inside well, the, the, the queen, rather, she should, should remain at 92. And she is surrounded by the bees. It's so, and they cycle in and they out to keep her warm. And they sacrifice the males when the, the supplies and the space gets uh, tight in there. They kick the males out. Because other than breeding, the males have no other purpose in life other than to drink beer and watch football. Nobody needs that going yeah. on in the hive. So they get thrown out and they perish in the cold. They do. It's, it's horrible. Anyway, I'm really glad I'm not a male bee. Well, the quilt AKA boxes drone. The quilt boxes work great and the first year that we tried them mm. we had success. We brought yeah. two out of three hives into the spring and we hope to do that again this year. And we hope to bring all of our chickens into the spring and um, so far we, we did have a we did have a, a disease problem earlier in the winter, but in terms of cold, we've had no problems. Uh, even though we had one for some reason decided to molt I mean, usually molting, mm. you're losing your it's feathers, you're getting new feathers in time for the winter. Why would a chicken molt in January? Don't get it. But She's just a dumb cluck, I Dumb guess. cluck, and, yeah. But uh, she survived, Yep. partly with the help of a 250-watt heat lamp. We do use a heat <laughs> lamp. Now, um, usually you don't have to worry about the extreme cold that we are headed for we're this getting week, now. Yeah. We are at about zero now. Negative zero, according to my weather app, whatever that means. <laughs> Negative zero. Okay. But we're going down to 17 or 20 below <laughs> within a few days. So we're taking some extra measures. And we did seal up all the uh, vents and everything in the coop. Uh, Ed has been very good about giving them extra straw every day. We are unfortunately. Every other day, really. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, unfortunately, we're having to feed and water them inside the coop with the door closed. And we, we don't put the uh, heat lamp on until it gets to be single digits. Mm -hmm. And uh, normally, even during the daytime, they'll come outside. If it gets to be single digits, uh, upper single digits, mm -hmm. close to 10, we'll leave the heat lamp on and the door open a mm -hmm. little bit so they can come in and out. But now that it's so cold, doors closed, heat lamps on. And they are definitely cooped up, and they're not happy about it, but they're still laying. They're able to eat. Yep. We found a place to put the water where it won't spill. A note about the heat lamp also. Ours is well out of reach of any straw, dust, the chickens themselves. Right. And also it is firmly secured in its position above the hens. And so we are not, we're not running a risk of fire. And uh, it seems that there had been a fire in that coop at one point yeah. back in the day because there's a burn mark. Last thing you want is, is, is uh, your, your, coop, your coop to go up in flames and you'd have all this fried chicken you wouldn't know what to do with. And it wouldn't even be tender. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some alternatives, and we've recently learned from our friend Rachel about these um, uh, radiant heat panels. They, they look like a flat-screen TV, but there's no burning element on them, and they are they seem to use less mm -hmm. electricity than some of the other heating. Um, the bulb doesn't use that yeah. much electricity. Bottom line is it's really easy to keep hens comfortable in the winter. Mm -hmm. They don't even need anything, in my opinion, until it gets into single digits. And then they don't even really need to be cooped up until it's low single digits into the negative realm. Yeah. 
So, yeah. And, and frequent checks. We check yes. on them very frequently. Four or five times a day. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe everybody can't do that. Do it in the morning. Maybe you can come home and take a break. Have a friendly neighbor look, look at them. But, uh, it's time but, you that know. friendly neighbors were a thing again. <laughs> That's right. Well, Kathy, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. And thanks to our guests today, Wesley Phipps, Charles Goldman, and Kathy Burns. And thanks to our production team of Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina. And thanks to the stations in Iowa, Ames, uh, specifically Iowa City, and other stations around the country that broadcast this program. And uh, again, thanks to you for tuning in. Uh, You can check us out on Facebook as well, the Fallon Forum page on Facebook. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. Again, this is Ed Fallon, your host, thanking you for being part of the Fallon Forum.